people aren't going to connect with phony wishwash people. They're going to connect with people that are authentic, that are real, and that are living a life, what they practice and what they preach, and they're, they're moving forward and they're accepting who they are. Welcome to A Congruent Life, where we share inspirational stories of authenticity and happiness. A Congruent Life is an interview project sharing the stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things, discovering their passions, and living authentic, amazing lives. Here's your host, Andy Gray. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to A Congruent Life. I'm Andy Gray, and thanks for joining us here today for episode 38. On A Congruent Life, we explore themes of authenticity, particularly those where people hit some sort of critical junction in their lives and then reinvent and live their lives in a way that is more congruent for them. Today's guest, Wesley Chapman, has done a lot of reinvention and adaptation in his life. He tried to commit suicide when he was four, was abandoned by his mother when he was six, and when he was seven, doctors said that his life was a hopeless cause. A shining example of love and support changed the course of his life for some amazing successes in the world of business and entrepreneurship. I'm talking today to Wesley Chapman. Wesley, welcome to A Congruent Life. Andy, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm really glad to have the opportunity to connect with you. We've been uh, sort of connecting online a little bit, and it's great to have the the actual voice connection now. It is, isn't it? It's, It's funny how many... We can reach so many people with social media and email and on all this stuff, but it, it really is not real until you actually make some kind of human contact, whether it's, you know, phone call or in person or something. So it is, it's nice to get offline a little bit and, and do something a little bit more human. Absolutely. Yeah. Get the real voices and the faces behind the real people that I, I, I love social media and technology from that perspective of, of making the world smaller, but sometimes there's nothing to be actually sitting down and you know having a cup of coffee or a beer with somebody and just chatting about life. Exactly. Exactly. That's really the way I like to approach the show, actually, is sort of this metaphor of we're sitting in a cafe and, and sharing stories. And so I'm glad to have the opportunity to share stories with you this morning. Oh, I appreciate it. And, and I love stories, so we're good. <laughs> awesome. Fantastic. Well, Wasila, why don't you just start with uh, kind of a quick introduction to our audience for those that might not be familiar with you. Well, um, I am an entrepreneur, have been for 22 plus years. I have a very uh, interesting story how I got started into the entrepreneurial world. The basics of it are um, I started my first business when I was eight years old. I believe there's two types of entrepreneurs in the world, and I say this a lot. So for those of you that heard, I apologize. But for those that haven't, this is new. So there's the entrepreneur that has a dream, has a passion, has an idea, and really wants to take it to the marketplace. And they go out there and they do that. And then there's the entrepreneur that's handed the pink slip. And I don't mean that literally, but I mean that in a figurative state, meaning you know, you may have lost your job. You may have had a circumstance that, that, that requires you to go out and make money. Or your environment may have controlled the facts that you had to go out and, and take care of yourself. I was the latter. Um, 
I was abandoned at six years old uh, by my biological mother, at one years old by my father. And so um, by the age of six, I was very independent. Um, and at the age of eight is when I started my first business. So that's how my entrepreneurial career got started. I've had the privilege and honor to work with some amazing brands, um, big brands, small brands, brands you've heard of, brands you've never heard of, companies you've heard of, companies you probably never have heard of. But um, it's all the same in principle. Uh, I love working with entrepreneurs. I'm on a mission right now to tell my story and also to really help um, a specific target. Uh, I really identified the target that speaks highly to me, and it doesn't mean that there aren't other uh, charities out there, other organizations out there, but I love working with the youth. I love working with young entrepreneurs, and that does not mean age. I mean entrepreneurs that are just getting started, maybe starting their first, second business. They want, you know, some real guidance. I don't believe in steps, you know, one through ten in anything. I think that that's a good general idea, but everybody's unique and everybody's different. Uh, and I believe that humanity does not operate in the sense of, you know, if you do this, 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 and this, we all all will react the same. And that's being proven over and over again through this, like you just said in the beginning, kind of we have a big world, but we're getting really, really small and we're seeing how different people really are. Um, and it has nothing to do with culture or race or anything. It just has to do with humanity. And then the charity that I love to work with is um, because of my life and because of where I came from being abandoned and different things and going through the system, you could say, there's a really interesting thing that happens to individuals like myself who have gone through, whether it's foster care or adoption or anything, you, you age out of it. You become, you get to a certain age, which is 18, where the government, the, the, the states and other people kind of, you're not, it's not cool anymore. You know, it's really cool to see a little child who's, and I don't mean this with any disrespect, it's just the marketing to see a little child who's suffering and, and who's challenged and who needs some help. I mean, we all want to get behind that because it's just, it's human nature. It's really different when you see a 19-year-old who's maybe, you know, tatted up and has got a piercing and their hair's long and they're not wearing clothes that maybe you approve of or whatever. That's a little bit more difficult for people to kind of uh, wrap their arms around. You know, they, they may not have the patience for it. And to me, that's the critical moment because people are doing different things that you may not agree with because they're actually looking for attention. I mean, I, sh I know I did. Um, I wanted people to love me. I wanted to feel part of something. And so that's really where my heart lies on a personal level, uh, the business stuff aside, but on a personal level, is that I feel that we're, there's a good opportunity for me personally to help you know, uh, young adults who are kind of going from a lot of love, whether it's being pro poked and prodded at medical or having you know, nine or 10, 20 brothers and sisters or living on a campus or whatever to going to now the system, you know, can't afford you anymore. And now you're on your own. Uh, so anyway, that's a long spiel. Maybe you'll cut it down. I don't know, but there you go. There's a little bit about me. That's great. There's a, there's a ton of richness there and, and lots of stuff we could talk about there. Um, I, I love the distinction you made between the different types of entrepreneurs. Uh, cause I think that basically applies to, to life in general. And like you, I like to share the stories of, of the latter, what you call the pig slip or this sense of reinvention of essentially calling a timeout and saying, you know what, let's, let's reinvent, let's, let's do something different than the way that life has been in in the past. And sometimes that's an internal process and sometimes that's uh, some sort of external crisis that is thrust upon us. So let's maybe um, start with some of the early story that you mentioned. You mentioned that you were abandoned at six and then quickly became an entrepreneur. Can you share with us a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, 
you know, the, the first six years of my life were very interesting and it is, it is important because it's what molded me into becoming an eight year old entrepreneur. And, um, you know, basically from the ages of, of zero to one, uh, I had challenges at two weeks old. I was taken back to the hospital for failure to thrive, which is really interesting because I didn't know what failure to thrive meant until I Googled it and looked it up and talked to some medical, um, you know, medical professionals. It basically means that you're not emotionally or physically being cared for. So at a very young age, um, those things started happening. And why is that important? Well, I firmly believe that once the human body, and this is not religious, but once the human body, um, even though I am religious, once the human body develops a brain, we start to absorb. You know, we start to take in our environment. So medically speaking, whatever that is, let's say six months, whatever, into, uh, you know, into a pregnancy, let's say the brain starts developing there. Once that brain starts developing, you're absorbing content, you're absorbing information. And so I started absorbing fairly negative in, in, uh, information fairly quickly. And at the age of four, my mother um, decided that I was um, old enough to tend my three younger siblings when she would go off and do whatever she would do for whether it's hours or days or, or whatnot. And so I grew up very, very quickly. And because of that, um, I also uh, had a had a fairly good maturity at the age of four or five years old. I also had a good understanding that this isn't where I wanted to be. And I actually tried to commit suicide um, my first time at the age of four years old. Why is that all important? And I'm not trying to down Deborah every, or downy, you know, downy Deborah everybody, but um, the the importance to that is because when when I was six, that's when my mother finally abandoned me. And at the age of seven, after spending a year being poked and prodded and, you know, little things hooked up to my brain and my heart and sleep testing and all these other things that I went through, the medical community and the psychology community basically said, he's worthless. It's hopeless. Um, the first seven years of his life have been too traumatic. The things that he's gone through are too, nobody's going to overcome this. His brain has basically shut off. His body is shutting off. Um, and mentally, he's just going to be a troubled, a troubled human being. Our recommendation is to put him in a, in a boy's camp, a boy's home, and hopefully he avoids juvie. And, you know, he's probably going to be a product of the state for the rest of his life. And, you know, that that's a pretty gut-wrenching. I mean, I've read it. Um, I've Now that I'm telling my story, I've gone back and gotten a lot of my medical records and different things over the years, and I've read these things, and I'm just kind of like, ouch. Like, <laughs> thanks for the good pro you know, prognosis, doc. That's awesome. Um, but uh, I had one person in my life who refused to make that a reality, and that was my grandmother. And for those of you that have ever heard me interview or do anything, I've told the story of the flowers, which is where I started my entrepreneurial life, but I feel like, you know, this is a new year. I want to have some new things. I want to tell a little different story, if that's okay with you, Andy, and then I'll... Yeah, sure. Yeah, so um, my grandmother uh, took me in, and for those of you that have heard the story, she became disabled um, about two months after she adopted me. So uh, very, very quickly, she became disabled. Now, she was a very wealthy woman. Uh, she was a very powerful woman. And she had a lot going for her when she took me in. Um, I was a lot of the things that the psychologists and doctors said just because she took me in didn't mean I was this, you know, magically cured. Uh, I did a lot of stupid things. I would burn down things. I would steal things. I did all kinds of things to act out for attention. So um, when she became disabled, it became even worse. And I 
I started a, a company to help support us financially. And I, and again, like I said, you can look that up. But one story that is really touching and kind of gives you the reason why I did the, the, the flower business and started my first company is one day I was going to the zoo, a simple thing that a child does, right? And um, at the zoo, uh, I got a very interesting visitor. It was my biological mother who I hadn't seen for years. And she had come to the zoo, and she had come to the zoo to see me and take me home, in her words. Now, I had a very smart teacher at the time who basically said, wait a minute, I've never seen you. Um, even though I was yelling mommy and all those different things, I had never, you know, this teacher had never seen her. And so she, she, you know, very smartly said, wait a minute, let's go back to the school after the field trip, and you can pick him up from there. And so in doing that, they called my grandmother and... Um, you know, she was able to step in and kind of say, wait a minute, you know, why are you back? What are you doing? Long story short to that, I'll, I'll get to in a second. My mother was not coming back because she loved me. There was some other reasons. She was coming back because she wanted uh, an extra child for the welfare check. Um, you know, she wanted to add she wanted to add that $500 a month to her welfare check. And I didn't find that out till obviously years later. But the battle that started was... Um, you know, because she was legally my mother and she legally wanted me back, there was there's some things that uh, can happen, and the police and different things like that can kind of are powerless regardless of the situation, and and so I remember this this evening that I had come home and our home was surrounded by police officers, not surrounded like a jug swat or anything, but you know I had one cop car in the front, one cop car in the back, and my grandmother and I were, were coming home and she knew that if we went in, I would be taken into, you know, protective custody, probably spend a few months in some foster care again and kind of go through this whole process. And, um, instead of going home, we were a little bit, we lived on this road where you couldn't kind of back out and not make it look obvious and different things like that. We parked in a neighbor's parking lot and my grandmother and, uh, and I crawled through a ditch, um, you can imagine it however you want, but it was a it was a a guard or a, a farmer's ditch. So basically, you know, two three feet deep and four or five feet wide, and we crawled through that ditch um, so that we could get to the uh, the the neighbor's house that we knew, and we could you know spend the evening with them. They knew the situation. They knew what was going on, and. I know this sounds like a crazy story. Why am I telling this? What does this have to do with entrepreneurialism and my story? This was my grandmother. This was a human being that didn't need me, quote unquote, didn't need to take care of me. It wasn't her responsibility. Um, you know, obviously her daughter had abandoned me, but her daughter had also ran away when she was 16. There was a lot of things. Her daughter just had some turmoil, but my grandmother didn't need to do these things for me, but she did. You know, crawling in this ditch was was a memory that I'll never forget. And as a small child, I was terrified. I had gone to foster care. I had been in the system. It's a horrible scenario for a lot of different reasons. I didn't have a good experience. I didn't want to go back. I did not want to go back to that life. And, you know, here my mom was coming back. And at first I thought it was, oh, she loves me and she's going to take care of me. But really what it was is, you know, is that she just wanted an extra, you know, five, six hundred bucks, whatever it was a month from the welfare. And that is why... When, when that moment happened, for those of you that have heard the story, 
that moment happened when I was sitting on the tire swing and my grandmother was in tears and she was losing everything because of her disability, because of her attention on me, um, because of all the other things that were going on in her life. And I was sitting there saying, how can I make a difference? This is my pink slip. This is where I'm getting, you know, this is getting, this whole world's going to be taken away from me unless I do something. And an eight-year-old boy, I did something. I went out and I sold flowers door to door. I made $500 in my first day selling flowers, but I did all of it because of the love that my grandmother showed me. And, I, and, and again, we all have people in our lives that show amazing love, but crawling through a ditch in the middle of you know the evening, it was dark and all those fun things, crawling through that ditch so that she could make sure that I was protected and didn't have to go back to the system is, is for me an act of love that's beyond, you know, beyond measure. And those are just, that's just one aspect of things that she did. And so when she became down and out and she became disabled and we were going to lose the house and the car and all these other things. And I looked around our yard and I saw these flowers and I thought I can go out and sell these flowers. I can make this happen. And, and I did. Um, that's, that's where my, uh, my story, you know, began in the entrepreneurial world, but it began long before that, you know, it began three months into the womb, six months into the womb, whatever it was, when my brain started developing, you know, all the cycles that happened in my life. And then finally getting to a position in life where I felt like this is right, this feels good. And then it's all going to be taken away from me. No, not again. I'm taking control. I will control my own destiny and I'm going to make sure that my grandmother is taken care of along the way. So it's a really long deal. I haven't shared that ever, so I hope it came out right, um, Andy. But I think that you know, too much focus is put on me as the entrepreneur and this whole like, oh, you're an eight-year-old entrepreneur and it's so amazing you went out and did it. But a lot of the focus needs to be put on my motivation and the person that made that happen. And, and I think we all need to kind of step back and say, why are we doing what we're doing? And, you know, it's, it's not a cheesy thing. It's not a, you know, motivational thing. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it's a human thing. You know, do things for the right reasons, you get the right results. What a remarkable story. Thanks so much for sharing that. It's, uh, it's such an interesting sort of confluence of factors at this point. I mean, you, you basically have everybody in the world sending you this message that you're worthless and hopeless and this guy's never going to amount to anything. And then you've got this shining example of love in your life that somehow managed to trump all of that and empowered you in a way that allowed you to say, I'm going to take care of this. That's a remarkable thing at eight years old to be empowered enough to say, you know what, I'm going to take my destiny into my own hands and that of my grandmother. I'm going to go out and, and do what I can do and find a, a way to navigate through such a complex situation. And it is, and it's it's just a testament to the human spirit. Um, you know, it's nothing. I, we all have greatness. You know, we all have, I mean, all, you know, Tony and Les Brown and all the different things. I mean, we all have greatness inside of us. We all have a giant within. We all, you know, whatever you want to say, I mean, we all have the capabilities of becoming something. And, and that's the thing that's just so disheartening is when somebody does get to that point. I mean, I don't remember being, you know, a seven-year-old child sitting across from a psychiatrist and being told that I'm worthless, but I'm sure, you know, um, I, I can relate to the feeling. And when I say I don't remember, I don't remember like the exact everything of that moment. But, um, you know, reading it back, I'm kind of like, what other human would say that to another human? Yeah. You know, I mean, that that is just such a, and I get it, it's a profession and I don't blame them and I'm not angry at them. I'm just saying like, it is. But the the part that you brought out is that when somebody has faith in you, that is a powerful, powerful, powerful 
you know, Trumper or whatever you want to call it. I mean, it, it is, it, it really does. It, it motivates you. It empowers you. It, it gives you, you know, it gives you hope. And we're all searching for that. I mean, every story, if I just told my stories from my childhood and, and you know, I'm, I'm telling you just some silver lining stories. But if I just told you my zero to six year old stories, I mean, everybody would just feel so like down and just like, ugh, you know, and you just have this ugh around you. It's because I had triumph that the stories actually become, you know, cool or become motivating or become inspirational or whatever words you want to throw in there. And, and for some reason, you know, because of my environment, because of my grandmother, because of who I am as a, as a human being, I didn't want my story to end on a tire swing, you know, being taken back from in, into into protective custody. I didn't want my my story to end in a in a four by four uh, prison cell. I didn't want that to happen. I mean, deep down inside, nobody does. But I I had that deep down inside and on the surface, and and it was because of my environment. It was not because I'm some you know remarkably gifted or special or whatever else person. I mean, we all are. And it's, it's really up to us. I mean, I love, I have a quote that it's not about what life gives you. Uh, it's about what you take from life that matters. And, and I've heard others, you know, it's not about the, the environment we're in. It's about the choices we make. I mean, all these different things. But it's really true. It's really true. And that's what my whole mission here is to say is that, look, business-wise, I can help you in my sleep. It's really easy for me to get business. I understand it. You know, at, at eight years old and I'm selling flowers... I knew some people would pay me 30 because they, you know, they were, they liked the cute little eight, eight year old boy. And, and I knew some people would pay me 15 and I knew some people needed six flowers and some people needed four. And, you know, and I also knew Memorial Day came around. And so we would up our, you know, double our prices. I mean, I understood a lot of things just inherently, just, I don't know where it came from DNA, you know, whatever I get business very, very easily. And, and I can help people with that. And that's what I've done for so long, and I love doing it. But this is something I think that's such a bigger mission, which is this whole concept of, of you know, triumph and, and overcoming. And there's so many amazing stories of people that have just overcome some amazing, you know, tragedies in their life and become so triumphant. But when you combine the two, like you're doing here with your podcast, the power of storytelling combined with the you know with the the impact a business can make now you just have something that's that can really change the world i mean let's not let's not kid ourselves we can't change the world without money i mean to some degree we really can't you know you need money to eat survive so you can even just keep speaking you need money to you know maybe pay for this or that for this charity or that charity and storytelling is is just a common thread you know i mean i don't care what you do if you can tell a good story you can have some good results so Wes, what did you do with all of that? I guess maybe what's kind of the intermediate chapter of your story? How did you move on from this pivotal experience you had when you were eight and, and nine and 10 and then take that into your teenage years? What sort of vision did you have for your life as you were walking through those pivotal years in your life? That's a, that's a great question, um, which I've never been asked. So good job, Andy. I love that. Um, the, you know, simply put, when I was a Boy Scout, uh, nine or 10 years old, I wrote a letter to my scout leader because, you know, it was one of the things we did at one of the scouting events or whatever is, what do you want to be? What is your life going to be? And I still have the letter. And I wrote that I was going to be the next president of the United States. Um, I, I truly had no limitations. And so as going into my teenage years, um, I kept that going for a while. Uh, it wasn't actually until I was about 16, 17 years old that that had 
that 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 hit a real major <laughs> a real major uh, hiccup. Um, but at the same time, I refused to acknowledge my past. Um, as soon as we moved and my grandmother and I moved to a new state, I, uh, I didn't tell anybody, um, that she was my grandmother. I, I call her my mom. I, it feels weird to call her my grandma. I call her mom. And when I got into junior high and high school and different things like that, that's who she was. Well, um, I was bullied tremendously in, in junior high and high school, um, I mean, severe bullying, gang fights, uh, all kinds of things that would happen to me. I can't tell you how many times I've had a knife pulled on me. Um, but, uh, and not just physical bullying, but emotionally bullying and everything else. And I never told anyone anything about my past, nothing. Uh, you know, even my best friend didn't know who my biological father is. And, uh, my, my best friend didn't even know my real last name until my late twenties. Um, I mean, I was, I was very ashamed of my past um, and not ashamed because, you know, I felt like I had necessarily done something wrong, but that people would judge me because of my past that I wasn't good enough to be in their present. Um, so what I had to keep reminding myself to kind of carry me through was that I was going to be the president of the next president of the United States. I was going to be something that people were going to look at and say, Wesley Chapman is somebody. You know, it's positive and negative, Andy. I mean, it, it's a real positive thought because it's like, oh, wow, such great aspirations. And, oh, wow, you know, you kept going. But it was also very negative because I wasn't just comfortable with who I was. Uh, I constantly had, and that led to a lot of different issues. I mean, I say that, you know, 16, 17, that's when I had kind of my first girlfriend, you know, first serious girlfriend, you know, the one you're going to marry, that one. And, um, and I told her about some of the sexual abuse that I had been through and some of the, the turmoil I'd been through as a child. And, you know, she she was a, a good girl who had a nice little family and didn't understand any of those kinds of things. And, you know, at the time it was traumatic. Now I look back and it's almost laughable. But she, you know, she dumped me and uh, she was no longer my girlfriend. And then somehow the entire high school found out about my past. And so there was, you know, poster boards and, you know, people making fun of me and for a good time, call West, stuff like that. And I mean, there was a lot of different weird things going on and and whatever that would happen. And so I then got immediately like, oh my gosh, nobody, you know, I, I took a risk and big, big, big mistake. So, um, it was, it was a, it was a positive and a negative. The positive is I kept going. I kept moving forward. I, um, I was a weird kid. I didn't collect, you know, baseball cards and, and play with Legos. You know, I started companies. I, you know, I, I had 20 employees when I was 16, 17 years old. I mean, I, I was just a weird kid in that regard, um, but it kept me motivated and it kept me getting through that tough part of adolescence and, and moving forward. And it really wasn't until probably I had my daughter and I was 26 years old that I started kind of saying, wait a minute, my story, my legacy, who I am is really important. And I need to put all these pieces together. And I'm 33 now. So I mean, 26 to 33 is not a long time. I've learned a lot. You know, I, I've just in the last year, I've kind of figured out like that, that fixing everything moment in my life when I was sitting on the tire swing and my grandmother had all these issues and, and I had to fix, you know, the family was a positive and again, a negative because I took that through my personal life. I had to fix everything, all my, not all my friends, but a lot of my friends and relationships romantically that I've had and different things. It was like, I got to fix that. And you can't fix people. I actually hate that word. Nobody's broke. 
and so you can help them. Um, but that's, you know, it's a positive and a negative. So I, I hope that answers the question to some degree for you. It does really well, actually. I, I really appreciate your reflections on that. An experience like that could go so many different ways. You know, it would be really easy to have this experience and then get stuck in this victim mentality. You know, oh, poor me, look what happened to me. And instead, you you sort of drew strength from that. You drew some key lessons for your life and you immediately applied them. And then you went through this process where you say, well, I, you know, I want to sort of deny my, my past. I want to have nobody know about that because it's scary because people are going to reject me. And then at, at some point you came to this gradual acceptance of no, wait, I have an important story to tell. And there's, there's a big value in, in sharing that with other people. And that seems like what you're doing now is really focusing on how do I take this, this journey that I've been on and use that to be of service to others. It is. And it's, it's, you know, I think it's a responsibility, um, both to myself, to my, my son and my daughter. Um, and really I, I strongly believe that all of us are put into situations because, sure, maybe we make the choices, we could argue those points, but I really believe that the the situations we get put into that maybe we, we couldn't control, put into those situations because we can handle them, because we can come out from them, we can be, you know, whatever. And, and I mean, I don't care what it is. If you get chosen to be on Top Chef, right, and you you can, that's because you can handle it. I mean, the, the producers of the show thought you could and the energy around you thought you could, whether that's religious or not. I mean, I'm not going to preach here, but I mean, what for whatever reason, you could, you know, you get in a car accident or you lose your job or, you know, whatever. You, you really have to believe like, look, I can handle this. Is it a bad thing? Well, sure it is, but I can handle it. And then and then once you've handled it, how can you help others? You know, how can you how can you give back? And don't confuse this with like, you know, go and give back before you've actually figured some stuff out. Uh, I would be worthless if I hadn't, ha you know, at the age of 20, I'd have been worthless to all of this because I hadn't gone through some of these things. I hadn't dealt with these things. And, I, and I'm not going to sit here and foolishly say that all is better and all is perfect. I mean, it's it's a constant battle. Um, it's a constant, you know, reminding and it's constant struggle. And, and sometimes people don't listen to my message or, you know, I, I share my message and only five people read a blog. That doesn't mean that it's not important. It doesn't mean that it's not relevant. It doesn't mean that, you know, you can't do that thing. But I, I feel that so many people, uh, I don't want to say, you know, feel self-pity or anything, but maybe there's not a better word. They just kind of, and I've done it. I got in a car accident in August on my way to shoot some video and do some things that I, you know, that were for a greater good. And, um, you know, I was like, why me? Like, why, why did I just get in a car accident? Doctors are telling me that I have to stay in one place and go through physical therapy. And what, why me? You know, I mean, I had that moment and I had it for a day and I'm literally going to say that. Well, the next day after I kind of got off my own self pity horse, the next day I had an amazing opportunity to, hang out with one of the leaders in the social media world and, you know, an, an amazing guy. And then I was able to develop a relationship with that individual. And, and it really happened because of the car wreck, because I was stuck in bed and I had no other choice but to, you know, do some Google searching and hang out on some Google Hangouts and do some things like that. And then even more so, I've because I've been stationary, I've been able to slow down and really focus on you know, some of my other projects, my clients' projects, things that I'm working on, even with more focus and realize that maybe it's not important to go around and speaking and doing all these things that I was doing, you know, this or that. So it became a positive is what I'm trying to say. But it wasn't a positive until I said, you know, okay, enough is enough with the self-pity thing. And, and that was in August, you know, I mean, that was a car wreck in August. So 
we all go through these things and the mind shift needs to happen from why me to what can I do with this? Yeah, that's a great reflection as well. Thanks. So for you, what can you do with this? What, uh, where are you right now in terms of what you, what you dream about and what you want to do in the world and what you want your legacy to be? And how is that showing up for you in your, in your world today? Uh, that's fantastic. So, um, and I love the legacy question. I, you know, right now, um, it's, it's little things. Uh, you know, we started this media tour, PR tour, whatever you want to call it, on November 14th of 2013 and that's my that was my birthday and I I a couple of things one it was my birthday so it'd be an easy date to remember if somebody said when did you start this journey you know there um b I figured hey if this fails miserably and we don't get traction we can blame it on the holidays and if this goes really well and we get some traction then we can kind of regroup after the holidays and make 2014 big well the latter has happened uh, I have been blown away as far as, you know, Nelson ratings and, you know, people to send me their stuff, um, the interviews that I've done so far to date have reached or will reach because some of them haven't aired yet, um, just under uh, 50 million uh, ears and, and eyes. Um, there's one, a couple other programs that we're working on. We'll get close to that 100 million. It's not a bragging thing. It's just saying that, you know, from November 14th until now, We've had the opportunity, or excuse me, I've had the opportunity to just be interviewed, speak, tell the story, whether it's 10 minutes, 5 minutes, 40 minutes, whatever. Uh, there's been articles written. There's been magazine publications. I mean, things have really started to take off. And so by just opening my mouth and telling the story, some things are happening. And, you know, we're just going to keep that going. We've got the book coming. I've got the book coming out, The Runt, The Story of a Fearless Child. Um, I'm, I've finished writing it, uh, you know, the, the rough draft. And as I was writing it, I got to like the age of nine or so or ten. And it was already in, you know, in the couple hundreds of pages. And everyone's like, whoa, whoa, you know, <laughs> we, we can't write a book about your whole life. We're going to have to split this up. So we're splitting it up into three different books. And that ask, an answers the legacy question is that, my father is an individual who just about everybody knows in the world. Well, not in the world. Let me, let me put that in. If, if you watch television, you know who my dad is uh, to some degree. Um, and you have one or two ideas of him. You either kind of tolerate him and he's okay and he's a cool guy or you don't like him. Um, and that's disheartening for me. And I forgive him and all those other different parts to you know, healing. But um, I have a son and I have a daughter and I'm sure I'll have you know more children before this journey's over. And I want them to be able to look at their father with with not having to <laughs> not having to do what I've what I have to do, but do it in a way where they can be very proud. I mean, that's it. That that's my legacy. It's it's really simple. I want my son and my daughter to be proud of their father. And and I don't and and I, and my definition of pride and 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 you know being proud may be different than yours and I know that every child is, is somewhat you know could be to some level proud of their parents but I really want you know I want my son to be able to be proud of his last name not be ashamed of his last name not hide his last none of the things that I did um, I want him to be very very confident and very understanding that his dad made a difference in the world. And that, you know, he can do that. So for me, my last book, and I will do this regardless of the technology that we live in or whatever, um, my, my last writings I want released on the day that I die. And I know that sounds weird and crazy, but it, to me, 
I want to say things that aren't going to be damaging or whatever, but I want to say things that are, are going to be left in the hearts, minds, and souls of my family, which then can be shared with the entire world. Um, and that can be impactful and can be motivational and can be inspirational and can be thought provoking and all these other different elements that, that I, that I, uh, that I love to do. And, and like I said, you know, for the first 27, 28 years of my life, I didn't think my story was anything that remarkable. Um, I just thought it was, you know, this, this story that I had, and it was this, you know, even some shameful moments and some different things like that. I, I didn't honestly understand the impactfulness of, of my story. And, and I really don't want to come across as arrogant or cocky or anything like that. It it just, it's really humbling to me that people care. Uh, it's humbling to me that people want to listen. So the legacy is simple. I, I want to respect that and I want to give value and I want my son and my daughter to be proud of that. Great answer. And, and that leads into I, kind of the, the, the purpose of this show. The, the whole reason behind A Congruent Life is exploring this common thread of authenticity. So what does living authentically or congruently mean to you? Oh, it's, <laughs> it, it means everything. I think that uh, I listened to a podcast a few weeks ago, or I guess it's been a few months ago, uh, where Pat Flynn was talking about being transparent. You know, him and some of the other podcast leaders share their um, their stats and how much money they're making and all this kind of stuff. And he said that it, it really surprised him how people reacted to his transparentness and his, you know, his uh, authenticity, that he was just being real and he was saying how it was. And people were like, wow, that's so revolutionary. That's t- and he said it too, but to me, that's terrifying. I mean, shouldn't we all just be who we are and, and, and do what we do and accept our mistakes and accept our successes and, and try to grow from them? We're all human. We're going to make mistakes. I mean, you should have turned left and you turned right. You know, is it the end of the world? No. I mean, I've gone down a one-way street the wrong way. I'm still alive, you know, I'm still kicking, I'm still driving. It was stupid and it was embarrassing and it was everything else. But, you know, at the end of the day, that that's, that's what I did. And, you know, it's, you got to accept it. You've got to be transparent about it. And it's, it's so critical. And, you know, as far as just putting it all together and, and, and looking at the bigger picture, I don't think we do that enough. And unfortunately, with this fast-paced, you know, instant gratification world that we live in right now, none of us want to look at the big picture sometimes. And we need to. I mean, I, I fall into it too, you know. But like, okay, I'll watch this television show at, in the middle of the day and, and it'll be okay. Well, maybe it won't be because maybe I should have spent that hour doing something else, you know. And, or, or maybe I should have waited or, you know, I don't know. I'm just throwing stuff out there. But little things are just as important as the big things. I mean, I'm a big health guy and now I'm like all this GMO stuff that we should have been paying to paying attention to 60 years ago. You know I mean? So now we're creating a problem in that. So I think that the authenticity and then, and just putting it all together and being real and being transparent and being a human. And I mean, I dub 2014 as the year of the human where we're going to, we're done being enamored with technology. You know, we get it. We're going to fly in space. We're going to live on Mars. Yeah, it's, you know, it's just a matter of time. Um, so now it's, it's going back to communicating. It's going back. I mean, there's a reason podcasting is coming back because radio was one of the most sensational forms of communication, mass communication ever, um, even more so than television because uh, it was storytelling. You could listen to, you know, somebody, you could listen to Seabiscuit 
and you could feel like you were actually there. I mean, radio is such a powerful form of communication because it's storytelling. And now all of a sudden podcasting, you know, a billion subscribers and it's growing and growing and growing and Apple's going to put all this attention behind it and Stitcher and the list goes on and on and on. It's because we want to reconnect. But people aren't going to connect with, you know, phony <laughs> wishwash people. They're going to connect with people that are authentic, that are real, and that are living, you know, a life, um, what they practice and what they preach and they're they're moving forward and they're accepting who they are. How can our listeners engage with you, Wes? Um, WesleyDChapman.com is the easiest way. Uh, you know, it's it's very simple. Just go to the website. All my social links are there. All my off offers are there. The book is there. Um, everything's on Wesley D as in Dwayne Chapman.com. Great. Well, be sure to link to that in the show notes. Wes, thanks so much for the connection. It's really great. Um, it's great to connect with you. Thanks so much for sharing your stories and taking the time to talk with us today. Andy, I appreciate it. I hope it's brought some value and, and hope everybody can kind of follow my chaotic chaoticness of, uh, of messaging and ideas. But uh, I, at the end of the day, I hope that people are just thinking, you know, just start thinking and then start taking some action. Mm, that's a great challenge to end on. Thanks. Thank you, Andy. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Wesley Chapman. The show notes for this episode are at acongruentlife.net slash 38 or acongruentlife.net slash Chapman, which is C-H-A-P-M-A-N. Thanks to those that have been leaving reviews for the show. Some recent five-star reviews include UNF Doug, CFinley00, KiwiLizB, and MoneyPlanSOS. Wow, thanks so much for those. If you're enjoying what we're doing here, I'd really appreciate it if you take a quick moment to leave a review. You can do that at acongruentlife.net slash iTunes or acongruentlife.net slash Stitcher. Thanks so much. Big thanks to Audible.com for supporting A Congruent Life. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook download, which you can access at aclbook.com. Once again, thanks for listening to A Congruent Life. I really appreciate your support. We have a lot of great interviews on deck, and I'm excited to share them with you over the coming weeks. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to A Congruent Life. For more, please visit us on the web at acongruentlife.net. Do you have feedback about the show or suggestions for future guests? Please contact us through the website or send an email to feedback at acongruentlife.net. See you next time.